0: It's time for episode 171 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 11th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that always works better when there are two hosts and two guests. I am your returning co-host, Jason Snell, and across the internet from me is my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jason. We're we're together again. Welcome back. Yes. Finally, all the travels are over for a little while, and we can do this show together every week. I gotta go. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, This is Clockwise, where we talk about... You you heard the beginning of the show. I explained it already. There's four people we <laughs> talk about tech topics. We have two wonderful guests that joining me and Dan as always. To my left, my good friend from uh, we work together at MacUser and MacWorld, uh, and she uh, writes books about. Mac things now, uh, Take Control of Sierra, Charlie McFarland, is that right?
1: Sierra, a Take Control Crash Course. Oh,
0: right, with the colon in there. Yeah, I have one of those, too. <laughs> it's very confusing. Well, anyway, it's a Take Control <laughs> book about everything you need to know about Sierra. Hello, welcome. Hello. And to my left from Scotland, where
2: it's probably raining, developer of uh, fine calculator apps for iOS, macOS, Apple TV, Apple Watch, your toaster, your fridge, all that stuff, James Thompson is back. Hi, James.
3: Hi, Hi, Don. I believe this is my 10th proper appearance on Clockwise, so I look forward to the retrospective articles on how it came to happen.
0: All right, let's uh, do topic number one. I will go first. Here it is, Uh, Consumer Reports withheld MacBook recommendations based on lab tests that they use that turned out to be broken, we learned this week, by a weird bug that was exacerbated by their test methodology. And I, I wanted to talk about the bigger picture here. I'm curious for all of us, how much do you read and trust and use editorial reviews and product tests when you're buying Products, Because this is definitely a conversation that people are having about why did Consumer Reports test these laptops the way that they did and does that matter and does that shake people's confidence in those tests? I'm curious how everybody here uses this kind of stuff.
1: When I started in tech journalism at MacUser back in 1996, um, both Siff Davis and IDG had big competing labs and a lot of work went into developing accurate tests for hardware. Um, and it was easy to see which Mac, for instance, offered the most speed or the best battery life. Um, but since those labs have pretty much gone away, I don't generally t- trust Mac reviews all that much because I know how much specialized knowledge went into getting accurate information about them. Lucky for me, the work I do doesn't drive my hardware to the edge of its performance capabilities. So I, I don't have the the deep needs that... Um, would make me need to know like what was the very fastest computer for each task. So generally these days, I just check to make sure people aren't complaining about a model and then just buy a Mac, assume it will be faster than what I had and move along. With other products where there's just a dizzying array of choices like headphones or even like desks and things like that, I rely on the wire cutter now Because our old Macworld colleague, Dan Frakes, is there, and I know he does great work, and I assume that a place where he works has good testing methodology. And that's worked for me so far. Uh, But yeah, I think that one of the biggest losses uh, with the downsizing of the Mac magazines is I don't really know that we have accurate testing anymore.
2: I do use editorial reviews, but when it comes to, you know, bar charts about which Mac is the fastest, uh, oftentimes my eyes sort of glaze over and like Sholly, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind some horsepower, but I don't certainly don't need a top of the line performance machine every time. Um, and yeah, in, in general, I think that those aren't necessarily a great reflector. As we said, you know, people try to come up with standardized tests uh, so that you can run these things against each other. It rarely ratchet, it rarely matches real world experiences because everybody uses their computers differently, and everybody uses their computers differently day to day. My parents use Consumer Reports still for a lot of their stuff, and I think they're good, very good for certain types of products. I think computers and technology has often been one of their weak spots, um, so it, it's not my top resource. Uh, when it comes to making those purchases, but yeah, I try to keep an ear to the ground, but I I don't I, I key, take a grain of salt with those bar charts.
3: Well, of course, I trusted the MacWorld Labs tests of yore, but these days I usually consult again, yes, yeah, sites like the the Wirecutter and Sweet Home. But equally, I'll look on Amazon customer reviews and get a general indication of how products behave in real-world usage. So, you know, after discounting the obviously foolish comments, it's sometimes useful to look at the one-star reviews and see what problems people have encountered with something. One of the advantages of being in the tech community is they're usually individual experts one can ask for advice. So, for example, I'm considering upgrading my podcasting microphone from this blue Yeti here, and I think it's fair to say that I know one or two people who might have some strong opinions Mm -hmm. i'll you know i'll probably ask around on social media as well i I don't think in this particular case consumer reports did anything wrong by switching off the browser cache that makes total sense but because they didn't talk to apple about the wildly inconsistent results we all lost our battery time indicators from the menu bar
0: yeah surprising number of people who used to test hardware at the MacWorld and mac user labs uh work at Apple in their performance marketing group now yep. so they're doing all of that same work but in the end everything's so fast now that it kind of doesn't matter I also like uh like to read editorial reviews and I like to look at sites like the wirecutter and the sweet home and you're right too the uh, consumer reviews are useful, not in specific usually, but in aggregate. Are there specific things that people hate about this product? And is that something that I would also hate? All right. Uh, that's topic number one. Thank you very much, everyone. Shali, what do you have for us?
1: My topic is about the Apple Watch. Um, the watch has been out almost two years now, and I am assuming you guys have watches. And I wanted to to ask... What did you think you would use yours for? And what do you actually use it for?
2: Well, I thought I would use it for everything. (laughs) Um, And that, because that was kind of the, um, you know, the premise that Apple laid out when it first announced the watch was it can do everything your phone can do. And of course, Uh, It turned out it wasn't good at all those things, and there were many things it couldn't do that your phone could do. So um, I I think I had much higher expectations of uh, what I would use it for, but the primary parts of it that I was most interested in um, are the ones I think I still use. So notifications obviously is the big one for me. I I still have it set up to deliver text notifications, email notifications, even Slack notifications. Um, I don't use it very often for responding to a lot of those things. Um, sometimes if it's a really quick response, but it is easy to at least like get an idea of what's going on and, and stay notified without having to pull my phone out of my pocket, which I do really like. Um, The fitness thing has definitely become more compelling to me as it's gone on. It's become more emphasized by Apple. So, uh, you know, I certainly can't claim that I complete my little rings every day, but it definitely gives me an idea of how much I have moved around in a certain day. And I think that it's helped me be more aware and more mindful of how much activity I'm getting in. And I like that. I've been trying to use it for some more in-depth fitness things, and I've found it um to be kind of mixed results um in terms of how well it performs with third-party apps in those cases um but yeah beyond that i don't really use it for apps at all it's not a thing i spend a lot of time interacting with because who wants to hold up their wrist and spend like a minute using an app right like that's that's not a good use case but as a sort of glanceable display um that i have on my wrist it, it comes in very handy and you know what It's not a half-bad watch, either.
3: Well, I've always worn a watch, starting with a Star Wars LED watch in the late 70s, and unsurprisingly, a multitude of calculator watches. But in terms of smartwatches, I had an original Pebble after I backed it on Kickstarter, and I used that for about two years until the Apple Watch appeared. You know, it also had rudimentary apps, but I mostly used it for notifications, reading text messages, seeing who was phoning me, And yes, seeing what the time was. And to a certain extent, the same is true about how I use the Apple Watch. I get a wider variety of notifications with more details available and I can respond to some of them on the watch. But I don't use apps. I don't use Siri. I don't use it to play music or any of these things. Uh, The main differences are, yes, the exercise stuff and the general health features. Even when I'm not actually exercising, which is, to be fair, a lot of the time, the watch is keeping a good track of what I'm doing and how active or or not I am being. I like to feel that I've been recording two years of control data for when I really do try and get
0: fit. Uh, my answer is almost identical to James's, which is I also had a Pebble. I use it for other things now. I use it as a remote control a lot of the time, especially uh, since I started using AirPods. Um, I, I, rather than find my phone or pull it out of my pocket, I've got a remote on my wrist, and so I use that a lot. Um, some of the complications that come from apps, I think that with watchOS 3, the complications as a view into app data, has been a really nice addition. When I was on vacation last week, we were going to beaches and I put a tide information complication on my watch face. And that was great because we could figure out sort of when is it high tide? When is it low tide? Where do we want to go? Uh, and 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 so I found some value in, uh, in a lot of that stuff too. And yeah, I use the fitness stuff. So um, it, it, it has not been quite what Apple initially promised. Like Dan said, what does it do? What doesn't it do? But it has been, uh, I I find it useful. And with watchOS 3, I find that it has been way more useful than it was.
1: So this is really interesting to me because I was a late adopter because I couldn't really think of any reason I needed the watch. I'm not generally very comfortable wearing watches. They kind of, you know, itch my wrist. Um, But I did buy a watch series two this fall to edit Jeff Carlson's Apple Watch, colon, a take control crash course cool. <laughs> ebook. Um, and I really enjoyed editing the book because it, it meant that I got familiar with all the different things the watch could do and controlling the Apple TV or my iPhone's camera. That was cool. And, uh, you know, reading messages on my watch. I actually think the little... Uh, You know, writing letter by letter works surprisingly well to send Um, texts. And I love being able to say, remind me of, blank, um, to add a reminder without ever having to pull out my iPhone. Uh, Although I'll say probably my top use of the watch is to find my iPhone because I can ping, make the iPhone ping just by tapping on the watch on the right button. Um, But as I started to use the watch more and more, I don't know about you guys, but I found myself turning off notifications a lot because I yep. hated being buzzed. And Now that I've had one for several months, I think the only thing that I really wanted that I got was the fitness tracking features. <clears throat> and yes, I'm also collecting control data right now, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but I know <laughs> I'll
1: use them. But you know, I could have gotten a Fitbit for those. So it's it's been an interesting experience just seeing what it can do and what I really needed that it can do.
0: All right, great. Uh, that's two topics down. We have two topics left to go. Let me tell you about our sponsor for halftime at Clockwise. Uh, this episode of Clockwise is sponsored in part by Linode. Linode gives you fast, powerful hosting for your projects. You can set it up in seconds. They have easy-to-understand tools that let you choose your resources, your Linux distribution. It can give you the power and flexibility that you need. And Linode plans start at just $10 a month for a 2-gigabyte Linux server in the Linode cloud. Linode servers offer industry leading performance. They have native SSD storage, Intel E5 processors, and access to a 40 gigabit network. They have nine data centers spread around the world, giving you the ability to serve your customers quickly. They have an API that lets you automate tasks or develop couple custom applications in the cloud. They're super simple scaling, allowing you to resize your servers in a couple of clicks, and it's all manageable via the command line. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. You're never going to get an ugly surprise in your bill. Now, as a listener to Clockwise, if you sign up at linode.com slash Clockwise, that's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash Clockwise, you'll be supporting us and you will get $20 toward any Linode plan. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash Clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit or just use the promo code clockwise twenty seventeen. Ooh, at checkout. Thank you to Linode for supporting clockwise. All right, time for topic number three. Dan. So, uh, Apple's head of Swift, Chris Lattner, has
2: left the company after many years, and it turns out he's gone to Tesla. uh, And he's not, has been uh, noted in a couple other stories this morning, he's not the only Apple uh, sort of higher up to go to Tesla in the last few months. There was a designer as well and a couple other folks. So, my question for you is, does this mean dire things for Swift? Does it mean great things for Tesla? Does it mean super confusing things for any car-related projects that Apple is supposedly doing? What do you guys think about that?
3: Well, I mean, the obvious inference based on no insider knowledge is that he had some existing interest in self-driving cars and wanted to do that at Apple. And either Tim said no or said, well, we're not doing that kind of thing anymore here. And so he went off to Tesla or Tesla offered him very silly amounts of money to jump ship. But to be honest, anybody working that long, that high up at Apple probably has enough retiring money already. So, you know, he's probably going there because it's a chance to do something significant and interesting. And he was at Apple for 11 years. He also builds excellent dining tables, judging by his Twitter. <laughs> but I will, I mean, it is somewhat worrying to have the architect of a young language that is supposedly fundamental to the future of Apple leave the company. But he's not the only person at Apple who knows about compilers. Um, Ted Kremenik, who manages the languages and runtimes team, has taken over Swift. And many people are contributing to Swift from outside the company now as well. And he, uh, Chris posted on the Swift mailing list to announce the change and said that he planned to remain an active member of the Swift core team. And uh, so he's not stepping away completely, although I imagine he's going to have less time to vote to it now, unless the autopilot software is going to get a complete Swift rewrite. Uh, I think it's a good move for Tesla. It's not so good for Apple. But I don't think it means Swift futures in Dow or Apple's for that matter. I don't think you can extrapolate from just, you know, one or two people changing jobs, however important they might be.
0: Ben Thompson at Stratechery wrote a really nice post that said basically, look, Apple has kind of conquered the world and Tesla is trying to conquer the world. And one of the challenges Apple has is they've got some people at Apple who are looking for their next challenge and maintaining the greatness of the iPhone as opposed to building the greatness of the iPhone, it's not the same. And some people are going to want to do something else. Also, I'm struck by the fact that Chris Lattner's new title is you know, Vice President of Software Engineering for Autopilot or something like that. And uh, it's probably a step for him in terms of money and in terms of level, but uh, it's also a challenge for him to do something new. I do wonder if Swift or uh, I believe Tesla's autopilot software now is uh, is built on top of uh, LLVM and clang which he is all, which are also open source projects that he worked on uh, and that's kind of understating his level of involvement at Apple. And so there are connections there and since these are all open source projects, I'm curious to see whether this is one of those cases where he can just move and continue to be involved in, in, in old stuff sort of while working on his new stuff, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great call for Tesla, but I, I'm i not sure it says anything about Apple other than this is the position Apple is. It's not a scrappy upstart in the same way that Tesla is. And there are probably a lot of brilliant people at Apple who have feel like they've done their challenge and they want to move on to the next one. And I, I, I get the feeling that that is uh, behind a lot of what's going on here.
1: I think, for me, I choose to focus on what this might mean for self-driving cars. Uh, Personally, I've always found self-driving cars just a little scary, uh, thinking about cars uh, who don't have a person in charge driving around. But I have a niece who has a genetic disorder that prevents her from driving because of a lack of depth perception. And for people like her, and I think there are probably a lot of people um, like that, self-driving cars would be revolutionary. I mean, just hugely change their possibilities, where they can live, what kind of jobs they can have. Um, so I'm hoping that this might mean that they really will have something this year. They The new hardware in the Teslas, is it's already there. The surround cameras um all the ultrasonic sensors, everything is put in the in the new cars already. So it sounds like what they're waiting for is the software. So hopefully, this means we'll see something legit this year.
2: Yeah, uh, I feel like. I think Jason's point about uh, Ben Thompson post kind of nails the idea of this. It's a different culture. It's a different challenge when it comes to building something new versus maintaining something that you've already created. And I can I can definitely see people have different feelings about approaching those sorts of projects and and wanting challenges. I think the thing that's most interesting to me is that this does seem to at least. Uh, Give some credence to this idea of Apple's car ambitions maybe having been dialed back, as was reported a few months ago, Um, because it seems like if you're, you're getting, you know, these people in key positions to move to other car companies, whereas you could be sort of attracting them perhaps to internal jobs working on a similar project. Um, that maybe they would, you know, think strongly about leaving, but you never know. Um, and so I, I think it, it makes me very curious as to what Apple's car uh, aspirations are. Um, since we've heard a lot of different stories about that, and maybe nothing will materialize from that whatsoever. Who knows? I, I'm not too worried about Swift. I, I do think it's a great get for Tesla, and I, I agree with Shali that the idea of, um, you know, increasing the uh, attention drawn to Autopilot is is prote- is Possibly a very big improvement for some people, whether they're people with disabilities or elderly people who aren't allowed to drive anymore, for example. Um, I, I think that's a that's a huge uh, possible sort of area of interest for, for technology and people to be working on at all in this era. So uh, interesting stuff going on. Um, thanks for your input on that. I think our last topic comes
3: from James. So a lot has been written this week about the 10th anniversary of the introduction of the iPhone. So simple question. What is the biggest change the iPhone has made personally or professionally to your own life?
0: Where can I start, James? I mean, first off, I've written f- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of words about the iPhone. So professionally, it's made a huge difference. Having the internet in my pocket, having, unfortunately, yes, Twitter in my pocket has 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 been a big change. Uh, just having having data with me wherever I go. I mean, I think the smartphone... Although I had a smartphone before, technically with the Palm Pre, it was not something that made me want to use the internet, and the iPhone made me want to use the internet. So, I, I, being in touch all the time, as my as my kids have grown up, being able to stay in touch with them and see what they're see what they're up to, it has been uh, huge too. So I I don't even know where to begin. I I think the iPhone has and smartphones in general have really just transformed all of our lives uh, dramatically. But uh, if I had to give a, a straight answer here, I would probably say I no longer have those conversations where we try to remember when something happened or who that guy was who was in that movie, because I will just take out my phone to the uh, frustration of some people I know and find the right answer rather than having us just endlessly speculate about it like used to happen.
1: I agree with Jason. I actually had that down as one of my points. That used to be a big thing, like having arguments at the table or, or making bets about who that actor was or when the printing press was invented. I mean, all sorts of things. And that's gone now. Um, but thinking back on the iPhone I really do think it is, without a doubt, the most life-changing piece of technology I've ever had. And that's, that's saying something, because so many different types of technology have been released um, in the past few decades. Uh, but this is the one that stands out. And I think it's not only that it connects me with the Internet wherever I am— but it also just replaces so many tools. When the first iPhone was released, my youngest child was a newborn. And anybody who's had a newborn knows how you become trapped in locations because the baby has fallen asleep and you don't want the baby to wake up. So you'll do anything to not wake up the baby. Um, but with her, I could be in a pitch black room with her nursing or napping. And still I had my book there and I could read it without having to turn on a light. And I could check the time I could post to Facebook, I could find lullaby lyrics, or text my husband to bring me food. It was incredible. All these different things I could do. I didn't, I wasn't likely to forget my book or forget, you know, this or that it was all there in the phone. Um, but I Thinking about it, besides the fact it replaces so many tools, flashlight, I mean, you you could just go on and on. I think the most significant to society probably is that it made the social media ubiquitous. And you could do Facebook on your computer, but you weren't at your computer all the time. Your phone, however, is always in your pocket. And I, th- I think this drove all the changes we've seen from social media like nothing else.
2: One thing that the iPhone changed, uh, hmm, how about everything? I mean, <laughs> you like, like everybody said, it's... It's probably the biggest change in most of our lives, um, technologically speaking. Uh, I, you know, I didn't used to carry a camera with me. Now I have a camera with yeah, me all the time camera. and a video camera. I mean, all this stuff. Um, I agree that the uh, having the data connection was always the biggest thing for me. As someone who grew up as the child of two librarians, I was often, uh, you know, when I asked a question, I was told to go look it up, which often meant going to the encyclopedia. Now I can just pull it out of my pocket. Um, and, and as Shelly said, it's, it's always there. It's always with me in my pocket. I have a few occasions where I've like, I've definitely had occasions where I've gotten in the car and like driven down the street and realized I forgot my phone. And it's just the feeling of being no. somehow naked, ah. right? Without it, it's, it's, it makes you anxious. And maybe that's not a great thing all the time, but you know, it is. It's certainly so important to our everyday lives. Um, it's kept me connected with so many people. Yeah, we had cell phones before and we had email. You know, and being able to call someone or write someone was was not like that. You might not stay in touch with or see every day was great. But now having texting and Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff with you wherever you go, I, it's nice to feel like I, I don't get disconnected from people who I otherwise wouldn't talk to very much because I don't see them. Uh, and obviously, all that comes with downsides too. You feel like you're constantly connected. You need to be checking your phone all the time. Uh, you feel weird when you don't have it with you, and and all of those are ad- adjustments to be sure. But I think on the whole, the benefit. to it and certainly as Jason mentioned to me professionally like you know writing about it and reviewing uh, iPhone apps and all that stuff uh, you know it's been a huge boon um, and has basically (laughs) supported my career um, for the last 10 years so uh, I, I think it made made huge strides, and, and overall, the benefits have definitely outweighed the detriments.
3: I mean, for me, professionally, it's an easy question to answer. The iPhone now represents the vast majority of my income as a software developer, and I have no idea what I'd be doing today without the App Store. The The phone gave Peacalc a complete new lease of life, and there are now millions of copies out there, not all paid, I should say. Um, but having said that, while there's, you know, many more potential customers these days, the app store has also driven software prices down to effectively zero. And Apple now has a veto over what can and can't be written, which makes the business certainly more challenging. I can't lay all the blame for that at the door of the iPhone or Apple, but there's definitely been a complete transformation in selling software over the last decade. Personally, I think the it's the always-on connection to the internet, and social media in particular. Being able to instantly communicate with pretty much anyone I know, anywhere in the world, without really thinking about it, wherever I am on the world. I'd say because of that, I've made some really good friends across the planet. I'm sad that Douglas Adams never got to see the iPhone, because it is effectively an Earth-centric Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. complete with built-in Babelfish.
0: All right, that was great. We have time for a bonus topic... But before that, this bonus topic is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standard for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card. How easy? I can follow it. And pre-portioned ingredients I don't have to measure them. That can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Customize your recipes each week based on your dietary preferences and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. We do this all the time. It's great. We get to decide uh, what we get and what we don't. And uh, there's no weekly commitment. You can skip a week if nothing uh, floats your boat, which is uh, something we do occasionally too. So there's no, uh, you're not like, oh, I got to get Blue Apron this week. No, if you don't like what they've got that week, wait for the next week. It's fine. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US so it will probably come to you if you're in the united states blue apron knows when you cook with fresh ingredients that support a more sustainable food system you can make incredible meals and they have set the highest quality standard for their community of suppliers here are some of the recipes coming up on blue apron spicy shrimp and korean rice cakes with cabbage Mm, mushrooms and chipotle pepper enchiladas. Oh my God, we're having that this week. And uh, let's say creamy shrimp spaghetti. I picked the shrimp this time. It's like I got shrimp on the brain uh, and the Barbie with broccoli and Meyer lemon. Mm, Meyer lemon is good too. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping. Here's where you need to go. Blueapron.com slash clockwise. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash clockwise. And thank you to Blue Apron for their support of clockwise and all of Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Here is my bonus question for you. Uh, it just rained for like three straight days. And also I was just in Hawaii where it rains all the time. And there's water everywhere and the, the, the flood levels are rising. And uh, so I ask all of you, boats, do you like boats? How do
1: you feel about boats? Sholly? Boats are nice. They're on the water. Uh-huh. <laughs> but perhaps most importantly, I'm on a boat <laughs> by the Lonely Island.
2: You know, I was going to put money down on who brought up <laughs> I'm on a boat. Sholly would not have been my guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like boats uh, when I was recently in the Maldives I, after taking like three or four planes I had to take like a half an hour 40 minute boat ride to get there and the boat broke down in the middle of the Indian Ocean and we had to change boats in the middle of the ocean that was fascinating
3: uh, I'm certainly familiar with rain in Scotland but I'm definitely a fan of water although more in the form of the ocean than the stuff falling from the sky since I can't swim boats are something of a necessary evil in order to get closer to the sea most of my experiences with them however have led to a certain amount of seasickness I do like submarines however and i believe that they are technically boats so i will say yes um i've only been on one but it didn't make me feel sick and i could see fish out of the windows and i could push a button to feed the fish
0: Wow! Oh. and what i'll say is i like boats and uh, we had kayaks in Kauai, and that was pretty great what i'm saying is i'm great at boats (laughs) and that brings us to the end of clockwise it's time to thank our guests for being here now that we've settled all boat matters sholly mcfarland thank you so much for being here
1: thanks for having me
2: james Townsend. thank you for being here and we look forward to appearance number 11
0: i you took the words out of my (laughs) mouth. all right dan i think that's it how do we end the show uh something about boats all right everybody get in your boat and and go out to sea and then come back row back in It's a rowboat, apparently, for next week's Clockwise. But until then, watch what you say in that boat and keep watching the clock. The boat clock! Bye, everybody! Bye! (laughs)